and we're not able to, the one that suffers the most is that recovery system, you know, that ability to access our kind of serotonin or oxytocin because we're getting far too much dopamine and we're getting loads of cortisol. And it's okay if we're getting cortisol, dopamine, you know, oxytocin, serotonin, like in balance, that's great. It's when they kind of get all out of balance. Hi everyone, I'm Hetty Holmes and you are listening to Hacking Happiness with Dose, the podcast that explores what makes us feel good to get those happy hormones firing. Whether it's a dopamine hit on reaching a career goal, a rush of oxytocin from spending time with loved ones, a surge of serotonin from practicing self-care, or a fitness class to send endorphins soaring. Everyone's definition of what makes us feel good is very different. My next guest is Cornelia Lucy author and an award-winning leadership consultant and psychologist. She specialises in helping people to enhance their well-being and build resilience, as well as developing positive leadership qualities in the workplace. In this podcast, we discuss the importance of building boundaries between work and home life, mastering the stress-to-rest ratio, and why developing a self-care routine is so important. As ever, we are so thankful to all our listeners for tuning in each week. To help us to keep going, we would love it if you could rate, review and subscribe. Also, please share our newsletter to your friends and family or anyone who you think needs a hit of happiness in their inbox. I hope you enjoy. Cornelia, thank you so much for joining me on the Dose podcast. Lovely to be here. Thank you, Hattie, for having me. It's it's a real pleasure because I know we met a few years ago when you put me on an assessment. Was it First Beat? Was that the name of the, uh, yes. the wearable? Yes. Yeah. You kindly agreed to a physiological assessment of your stress levels, which was exciting. I did. It was a great feature, actually, and just to just to see how much kind of stress is actually can be a good thing, which we'll get yeah. to, of course. Um, yeah. But we always like to kick off the podcast by talking about kind of our career, um, inspired by dopamine, which is our motivation molecule. Um, so, firstly, I want to talk about your career because um, you started first as a journalist, I believe, and then you kind of pivoted into psychology. So, yeah. Yeah. So, quite an interesting uh, background, uh, Hetty. A bit of a um, what do they call it? A jack of all trades. <laughs> That's my kind of background. So I started off um, as a journalist because I thought I was going to revolutionise the world through the power of the word. Um, and I started, um, I trained with the Press Association as a newspaper journalist. Um, and because I was really interested in people. So I've always been really fascinated by people. And um yeah, I come from a huge family. I think you're kind of aware of that. I have like a massive Irish family. So I first started thinking about people and the differences between us and how weird and wonderful we were as a really small child. And I think initially I thought um, I'd go in the direction of like writing and words and stories. Um, and so I kind of set off training as a journalist. I actually did my first placement as a journalist when I was about 12 years old in like a local newspaper mm-hmm. um so I was really kind of interested in that um do you want me to kind of carry on and tell you a bit more about that well no it'd be just interesting to know like how you pivoted and how you kind of what, what was the moment when you realized you didn't want to be in journalism anymore and yeah. why you wanted to pursue kind of psychology specifically yeah really interesting well I actually went from journalism into education before going into psychology right. Um, so I was working as a journalist. I was interviewing all sorts of fascinating um, people from all sorts of backgrounds, you know, um, singers, politicians, things like that. Um, and I became really interested in, I guess, I suppose society and systems and how we affect change. 
And that actually took me then into education. And I specifically trained through a leadership program, a leadership entry route into education. So I did something called Teach First and worked in a really challenging school um, in London. And it was through doing that program, again, this kind of curiosity got sparked in me around the different experiences like children were having and adults were having. So it was actually, I kind of laugh about this, but it was actually horrendous. The school was described as as one of the worst schools in the country, if not the worst school in the country, which obviously <laughs> is a pretty sad title <laughs> for any yeah. school to have. Um, and I was really interested in, like, I guess, why was this school kind of failing? Like, what was going wrong here? Um, I think there was a 7% pass rate at GCSEs. So um, there were only 7% of exams that children got A-star, at the time, A-star to C grades. So 93% of all exams being sat at GCSE were being failed. <laughs> so it was quite interesting. And I guess... Um, that got me really interested in the dynamics between people and, and relationships and, and things like that. And, you know, I kind of at first you're like, what's going on with the kids here? And then you realise, actually, there is a lot to do with the adults. Um, and I became really interested in the the dynamics of the adults and the leadership in the school. Mm-hmm. And at the time, because of the programme I was doing, it was both a kind of a teacher training programme, but it was also teaching all about leadership and I was doing a master's in leadership so I was understanding kind of how we lead self how we lead others how we lead kind of teams and groups and I was really fascinated by you know that there's absolutely horrendous ways to do that (laughs) and there's really good ways to do that and so that kind of pushed me into this career where I went from education into consultancy and specifically leadership consultancy and I kind of that was kind of a route through um, different contacts I'd made through doing the kind of Teach First programme because it's really well networked. Mm-hmm. And um, while, I was in, while I was in leadership consultancy, met some amazing people um, and worked in various charities and doing that work and having done a master's in leadership alongside my kind of teacher training and having done a lot of work around mindsets And how our mindsets can affect us, like whether we have a really fixed, narrow mindset or whether we have like a growth mindset, a more agile, more developed mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, That made me think, well, actually, okay, leadership's really interesting. The theory around leadership's really interesting. But underneath that, there's a psychology, there's a brain, there's something going on in our brain. Mm -hmm. And more and more people I spoke to, I was like, I need to go and study psychology (laughs) because I just need to get beneath the surface of all of this leadership theory around Mm -hmm. what brought the best out of people. Um, And so I started at that point exploring what was it that could bring the best out of people. So I also went down quite an untraditional route of psychology. And this was back, you know, five, six years ago, if not longer, where I started to explore, well, what is it that can teach me about what brings the best out of people? And so I was kind of leaning towards psychology and actually psychology as a field is really interesting. And like, forgive me, Hetty, if you've come across this, but there's different, I think, I believe that you have, because I think we've had a conversation about this before. There's obviously different types of psychology and psychological studies, and they're all there for different reasons. And clinical psychology, which I guess is the kind of like granddaddy of psychology, it's like the kind of elite area of psychology, um, traditionally has all about been studying what's wrong with people mm. and actually what, what are the kind of things that are going wrong um, with our kind of psyche and, and things like that. 
And um, whilst I'm really interested in that side of things as well, there is a growing um, field of psychology called positive psychology, which is all about actually what is it that's going right in people? What is it that's going right in the individual, in the team, in the organisation that brings the best out of people? So it's like, you know, what is the optimum functioning formula in this person? Um, and I guess that's, you know, why I'm interested in dose as well, because you're particularly looking at those hormones, really, I guess, that can um, bring the best out of people. Um, and so, yeah, so I guess that's a kind of like my entry into, um, not into psychology, but that was through kind of positive psychology um, masters and coaching psychology masters, because coaching psychology sits really nicely next to positive psychology because it's actually the art of how you facilitate someone to develop mm. um, and to make the behaviour change that they want to make in order to become the best version of themselves. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's my kind of yeah. way into psychology. So it's... probably not, not the most direct route, but it was my journey and, and I'm, I'm really grateful for like all the different experiences I've had to to get me here now so yeah no I think it's really interesting for for listeners out there who are thinking about a possible career move into psychology and to hear how you got into yeah. it because you know you can study it but then you've got to have you know your experience like what you had of going into a school and, and figuring it out that way it's, it's brilliant yeah. so now you work with corporates don't you and trying to um kind of bring teams together and and kind of create synergies um, and something Shara mentioned to me was something you work on recently during lockdown was helping women to find a voice on zoom calls because I think something you have experienced is that there's a lot of noise in the kind of the zoom kind of boardroom and and women especially are finding it hard to get their voices across so I'd be really interested to hear a bit more about that from you about how the kind of things that you've witnessed as well through your clients yeah sure so um I'm not I'm not going to say that I'm I guess I'm an expert in that area at all I think for me it's about observing human behavior yeah. and what I've observed around that I think um so as well as working with with corporates I also work with charities I work with educational organizations so I work with quite a range of organizations and you can kind of pick up an understanding of culture quite easily as a psychologist through your training because you're kind of decoding what's happening in front of you um, and I think it's quite interesting that you're able to observe that and notice that quite a lot when you're kind of face to face with people, you can pick up a lot of inf information. I think on Zoom, we can pick up a range of information. It's limited. And I think that's why we're all struggling a little bit. Um, but it's way more than I guess we ever imagined that we could do via Zoom. Um, so I think, yeah, when it when it comes to kind of women and, and working at the moment, um, think looking at you know how voices get heard is really interesting I think turn taking is really interesting we can pick up a lot around how psychological safety is and is not created in groups in environments um, I think you'll probably remember back in March now I know you've always, always done a lot of remote working heading worked kind of all over the place um, you know internationally and um, nationally and for a lot of people coming to Zoom back in March in the first lockdown was quite a massive change. Mm. Um, so we were all having to kind of navigate <clears throat> how do we behave on Zoom and how do we talk on Zoom? Um, and I think initially that was quite challenging. I think mm. for lots of groups of people, I think, you know, there's that tension between extroverts, introverts, dominant voices, less dominant voices. 
Um, and I think some of that has kind of settled down now. I think it's been navigated. I think people are more conscious of it and aware of it. Um, but I think that's definitely affected, um, you know, different people, you know, whether it's kind of sexual differences between men and women, um, cultural differences, ethnicity differences and the way we're able to be heard. Um, so, yeah, so that, that, that's been quite fascinating and looking yeah. into that. Yeah, really interesting. And something else that I wanted to ask is the fact that we, you know, we're always on at the moment, aren't we, with technology, being in our homes all cooked up, especially because of lockdown. And I think, you know, with social media always there in the background, it's actually quite easy to experience burnout, isn't it, specifically from our devices. So how can we stop ourselves from always being on and and finding that boundary between work and, I I guess, play and and our leisure space? Yeah, I mean, massive question, Hetty. Yeah, quite a big one. <laughs> Huge question and yeah. a great question. And I think such an important question and something we need to constantly be asking ourselves and checking in with ourselves on that. Mm. Um, yeah, how can we do that? And I think, I guess, that kind of problem that manifests through being always on is, um, again, there's something deeper kind of underneath that. Um, And I think I've spoken to you before about the fact that whenever I'm, I suppose, talking to people about how we can kind of manage ourselves in a way that works really effectively for us and is really helpful for us, I always like to take people back to just a really basic understanding of our brain and and how it works and what we need in our brain. Um, Mm. And, you know, I know that you're conscious of, of this stuff, but maybe for the listeners, just to kind of break it down a little bit you'll know that we have kind of two really distinct parts to our brain. One's kind of more responsible for our, um, I guess, cognitive, conscious, higher order thinking. And that's the kind of more evolved part of our brain. Some people refer that to kind of the slower part of our brain. And that's the kind of outer layer, the neocortex of our brain. That's where the kind of really sophisticated happening uh, thinking happens. But we also have this like emotional layer to our brain, Um, And I suppose just to talk a little bit about that system, because that kind of affects that kind of addictive behaviour with our phones is, you know, within that emotional part of our brain, we've got like three really distinct systems that all need to get activated. Mm. And what you'll be unsurprised to kind of know and to hear is that there's two parts of our emotional brain that get activated, that create a stress that creates stress and you know I know that we're going to talk about that a little bit and those those two parts of our brains one of them doesn't feel so good one of them feels really good and that's where our dopamine gets you know produced that's where the kind of excitement motivation comes in that really great feeling um and the third part of those that kind of balancing wheel that's in our emotional brain is our like recovery system. And it's the bit that gets triggered when we feel really relaxed, really calm, really at ease. And when we're with people or connected to people that we feel really safe and and easy with. Um, And we need to, as human beings, we need to go through those three different systems in our emotional brain all day, every day. Um, And we get into trouble and we kind of get a bit stuck when we're not going through those three systems. So when we might be getting stuck in the threat system, which is, you know, a naturally triggered system, which gets triggered by everything um, all of the time. You know, when our email pings, when our phone rings, when we're doing our work, when we're worried about something, when we're kind of anxious about something, it's getting triggered. And that's mm. such a natural part of our brain. Um, and it will get triggered all of the time. Um, and our 
drives us in that kind of dopamine um, hits that kind of that part of our system when it's being um, triggered, it um, like that kind of threat system requires loads and loads of energy. Mm-hmm. So, but it feels feels less horrible than the kind of scared part of our brain. Um, so when we're kind of thinking, I want to feel something really strongly, or I want to kind of get get a different feeling, we might habitually pick up something like our phone to get kind of a dopamine hit that comes from like checking our emails or checking our texts or checking our social media feed or anything like that. Um, and that can feel quite good. But the um, danger is if, if we're doing that, that all of the time as our way to relax and our way to kind of step away from maybe things that are worrying us or scaring us. And quite understandably, we want to do that all the time. Um, but how do we actually stop that behaviour? And so I suppose, first of all, and the reason I'm kind of giving that explanation behind it is we have to realize it's a really natural thing for us to want to do it and there's nothing wrong with us wanting to be on all the time and it's about actually recognizing when is it being helpful to me and when is it not being helpful to me and if I can identify okay when it's not being helpful to me so it's not being helpful to me when I'm meant to be sitting down relaxing reading my book or watching a film or talking to my loved one or you know and if I find myself picking up my phone all the time and I'm talking about myself here, Hetty, because this is what I do. <laughs> if I'm doing that, I have to then try and tap into my kind of more conscious part of my brain to really stop myself doing that. So I've got mm. to rewire my behaviour and that's harder to do. So I have to do things that kind of reset reset that. So um, how do we stop ourselves being on all the time? I have to kind of create boundaries for myself. Mm. Um, and I have to be really conscious about what those boundaries are. And I need to accept that sometimes those boundaries are going to work. Sometimes they're not going to work. And that's OK, because I'm just going to keep trying and trying again. And that's how we change behaviour. Um, it's a bit of a cycle. So we kind of have ups and downs when we're trying to change behaviour. And that's OK. Um, but so something I'm tr- trying to change at the moment, um, and I think I've spoken to um, Shara about this and she laughs, is at kind of nine o'clock in the evening, like having a cutoff point for myself and just saying, OK, this is my downtime I'm not going to be switched on anymore this is me and I have a kind of holy hour which is just all about me that's kind of between nine and ten sometimes it's ten to eleven whatever it is it's like that's kind of my hour I'm not going to be switched on and um I've actually got to the point now where I ask my husband to take my phone Hmm. um and he just like confiscates it (laughs) from me because I can't like it's harder for me to do that but now he does that and now I'm kind of putting it out of my sight that's helping me to change my behaviour and it's making it less accessible. Um, so it's, I guess it's more about being mindful about what we're doing. Um, I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah, no, it is. Super helpful. I think, yeah, boundaries and, you know, obviously we have these apps now that tell us how much we've been on our social media apps, which I don't know if exactly. helpful or not, but yes. any, any kind of boundaries we can put in place for sure. really helpful and we touched on this before because of that first beat assessment that you put me on for that feature but um you talk about stress being kind of good and bad and it it goes back to this kind of this dopamine response um but just from that assessment I did over three days I could see you know when I was working like there was a bit of stress there also when Mm. I was exercising bit of stress also socializing which I found Mm. interesting bit of stress and Mm. a day an, an evening which I think it was a Friday night when I kind of hammered all those things quite hard with a bit of alcohol <laughs> involved. It, I think I got naught out of 100 for rest, stress to rest ratio, which is like appalling. And then yeah. there was like another day where I had 
bit more of a calmed out and balanced day and it was more green um but yeah I'd just be interested to hear that from you because uh, there's a lot of people who haven't done that assessment and probably don't know the yeah. difference between the stress and rest response yeah really yeah really interesting and I guess it's um thinking about stress in quite a different way now like stress is a bit of a continuum um and we have you stress and we have distress and stress is kind of somewhere in the middle and stress is okay if it's just stress stress is I guess damaging for us it's more difficult for us when it moves from being in the middle point to going down the other end of the spectrum and being distressful mm. if we're going down the you stress end and we're being kind of it's a more healthy stress it's much better for us and we need stress day to day like stress is a good thing for us keeps us alive it keeps us doing stuff it keeps us reaching for our goals it keeps pushing us like stress is good Mm. um but stress like everything Mm. out of balance has its bad side Mm. um and I suppose what you were noticing when you were doing that assessment Hetty is where it was not in balance sometimes and where that was kind of having a detrimental impact on you and your ability to recover and I guess I go back to kind of thinking about those three systems in our emotional brain, the threat system, the drive system and the recovery system. We need to kind of cycle through those. We need balance in those three systems. And if we're not getting the balance in those systems, they kind of outdo each other quite negatively. And we're not able to. The one that suffers the most is that recovery system, you know, that ability to access our kind of serotonin or oxytocin because mm-hmm. we're getting far too much dopamine and we're getting loads of cortisol. Mm. And it's okay if we're getting cortisol, dopamine, you know, oxytocin, serotonin, like in balance, that's great. It's when they kind of get all out of balance. And I guess that's that's what's been really interesting about, I suppose, the whole wellbeing movement and understanding more around what makes us well. Mm. Because it's not just about, I want to feel well to, you know, feel good. It's actually, it's, it's quite critical to us to like Mm. function and to perform and to do anything well so you know if you want someone to like be a really high performing person in any field in whatever they're doing you need to get them to learn this kind of self-awareness for themselves to find their own balance and yes Mm. that kind of assessment that first beat assessment could help someone and I'm not kind of necessarily promoting that at all because I don't think it's just about an assessment Mm. I think it's about really learning to understand yourself and what helps you move through those states and create yeah. that awareness for yourself and the people I know that have learned these lessons most of all are people who have suffered burnout quite chronically yeah, and exactly. I think that's probably what Shara and I felt when we you know started dose that was primarily based on our experiences having yeah. hammered our dopamine so hard to yeah. kind of climb the career ladder and then yeah. having a bit of a burnout and thinking okay is it really all about this or do we yeah. need to kind of create some more balance here and that hence totally. dose came about but yeah I think totally. once you start to learn this kind of stuff it, it's life-changing isn't it because mm. you can just you can see that your productivity is just going to start to go on the downhill if you you know if you overwork to the point where you're I don't know. It's just, yeah, yeah, out of balance. Um, So getting to to oxytocin, to relationships, Mm. um, living through lockdown, I mean, we're not seeing our friends as regularly, our family, and it's it's hard, isn't it, having all of these Zoom calls instead of face-to-face interaction. How is is oxytocin impacted when we're not actually seeing people in the flesh? Like, how Mm. how important is that human interaction chemical in, in helping us feel good? Uh, do you want the good news or the bad news? <laughs> start with start with the good news. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess like 
there are ways we can connect with people, right? Mm. We've kind of figured some of those out. Um, I think what's interesting about Zoom is that psychologically and, you know, because of the audio interaction, sorry, the visual interaction and the audio interaction, Mm. it's quite tiring. You know, like WhatsApp video calls, FaceTime calls. There's kind of a double energy taker because, and I quite often do this, and actually I'm going to, I don't know if this will affect the kind of um, recording now, so I won't do it now. I quite often hide my ability to see myself um, on the screen because it reduces the delay, um, it reduces the energy sucking from the conversation as it's going on um, because I'm not doubly conscious of myself and of the person I'm talking to. I'm just now mm-hmm. thinking about the person I'm talking to and that helps me to connect with you. Um, so that helps me being able to get some of that kind of connection from the conversation and it also reduces the kind of suck on my brain. So we can still connect. We st- can still get some of that oxytonin. Now, a lot of the oxytonin, as you will know, because you know, you're a mum, an amazing mum with two small children, um, that oxytocin is a lot through touch. And so we're not actually able to get a lot of that touch um, at the moment, which is really sad. Um, but, you know, and, and I, my heart particularly goes out to, you know, our friends and family who are living on their own. And I was so delighted when, you know, the government announced you could bubble, you know, because I think they've been able to bubble and connect with others is, is so important. Um but I think it's about kind of how, what are the other ways I can stimulate my oxytocin? How else can I connect to people? And I think it's a lot to do with voice calls. It's a lot to do with those other ways, which aren't necessarily as, you know, fruitful in terms of releasing that hormone, but they are there and they are options. Mm. Um, and I know we're all kind of fed up of Zoom and things like that, but I think, you know, there's a place for it and yeah maybe it's different shaking it up a bit experimenting a little bit in these current times we've all been cooking at home a lot more than usual that means it can be hard to find recipe inspiration but by using wild seafood from alaska which can be cooked straight from frozen you can create delicious protein-packed meals in minutes Alaska salmon is naturally high in omega-3, vitamin D, and is low in fat, making it good for the heart, body, and mind. Alaska seafood is caught in some of the cleanest waters in the world, and Alaska is 100% committed to sustainable fishing practices. Check out at Alaska Seafood UK on Instagram for recipe inspiration, or visit alaskaforeverwild.com for more information. And we touched on this earlier before before the podcast, but um, cortisol and oxytocin are like complete opposite ends of the spectrum, mm. aren't they? I mean, well, cortisol is for a lot of the happy hormones, but oxytocin it is so like it's important for bonding, as you mentioned. But especially you know, being a mum and having kids, I I find personally, if I'm trying to do work and say breastfeed at the same time, mm. it doesn't actually work. And you know, the baby's a bit distressed because he's like, "What's going on?" and I'm not really in the zone with him. So mm. it's it's interesting. I don't know if you come across this with any of your female clients about how mm. to create those work-life boundaries at home, especially if you are a mum who's mm. working during this mm. peculiar period. Because, uh, yeah, I think just from seeing it happen to myself, it's it's just maybe a question if other people are going through it as well. Yeah, and I know that we were talking about this earlier, Hetty, but I just think it's amazing that you have that self-awareness that, you know, as I'm breastfeeding if I'm kind of stressed or worried about work or trying to kind of like multitask on that then that kind of affects 
that kind of connection that I'm having. Um, and that, you know, from what I'm hearing makes you like an amazing mum, like, because you're able to kind of work that out and, and manage that. But like, you know, as we're hearing, and I think there was some kind of like horrific data coming out and in the Institute for Fiscal Study, I think it's something like 41% of mums have either considered giving up their job or leaving the, uh, or have left their job during the pandemic, because it's just that multitasking, that balancing of work and um, motherhood and all of those kind of things and life has been really, really, really difficult to manage. Um, and I think that the thing is, I think we need to recognise societally is you can't do both. Like you have to make space and compartmentalise those different things that you need to do. Um, and I think, you know, I was kind of reflecting on this um, before we um, came on the call today and I was thinking, OK, that's all very well, just saying, oh, it's really difficult and it's really rubbish at the moment because I think it just is. But OK, well, what what are the things that we can think about? And I, I think there's three different things we need to think about societally. I think we need to think about the male part in this. We need to think around, OK, what, what are men doing when it comes to um, parenthood? And I think there are men doing amazing things out there and helping with that balance, which is just absolutely awesome. And I think we need to kind of like give a lot of credit there. Um, and I think there's also those kind of gender barriers and societal barriers that's also stopping men from playing more of a part in supporting women so that they can do that multitasking, like they can do what they need to do, the kind of mum bit, the work bit. Mm. Um, and I think we need to do more um, in workplaces to support mm. mums to be able to kind of take those breaks or to recognise that they can't do everything at once. And I've heard some organisations that I'm, I've been working with doing some amazing things like offering flexible time timings for working giving people like paid leave as and when it's needed when things are just getting too much um and just giving more of that flexibility in place to support women to you know spread those things out for themselves um and I think the third uh, like you know part of our system that really needs to tackle this is like the government just really calling this out and saying actually we need to do, be doing far more to support um working mums working parents um, and I guess that's kind of what's going on at the moment with the pandemic and things like that. But I think, you know, your question would have also been relevant, you know, nine months ago, Hetty, or or like, a, you know, a year ago, um, because we've always, as, as women, had those tensions. Um, and I think, you know, all I can say is that, you know, from a psychological point of view, um, in terms of really um, creating that connection, and that moment and that will bring more for you as a human being and for, as a mum, for example, and, and for the child, you can't do that multiple multitasking thing. You need to separate out and create space. And that just means, OK, I'm not going to have more than that much time on my work and, I'm, and I've got this much time to spend with my children. But when I am spending that time with my child, it's going to be the best time. It's going to be the mm. quality time. And this is the time that I have. Um, and it's about kind of planning that out a little bit. And, you know, women are amazingly organised, really good at planning, able to kind of set those systems up. I think where like my female friends and where, you know, lots of friends struggle with this is is also not being given that opportunity to plan or put things in place. And it's really, really hard 
when you've got um, um, a man and a woman on their own that don't have any other support around them, family, mm. friends, communities, it's really hard. Um, and, you know, then it becomes, OK, how are we as a, as a couple, um, if it's a man and woman, if it's, you know, same sex couple, regardless, how do we work that out with each other? And how do we make sure we can kind of balance these things? Because otherwise, you know, like you've experienced, which I think is fascinating, Heather, you're not going to be able to necessarily make that connection that you want to make with your child at that moment. It's just going to be a kind of stress, a stressful moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and kids are like kids. And to be honest, adults are like this, too. So, if you, you know, with the older child, um, like they need reassurance. And so if you've got like a little girl or boy coming up to mum or dad saying, look at this, there's this drawing I've done and mum or dad um, is on like a video call <laughs> and just mm-hmm. doesn't need that right now. Um, that like has kind of double damage for mm-hmm. the child. And I think that's what we're kind of conscious of. And it's not because the child necessarily cares about the picture that they're showing, but it's about them feeling recognised by the parent um so it's it's almost like just understanding that there's that irrationally irrationality in all of us particularly children in not being able to kind of draw the dots and so like you know that explanation that parents are doing at the moment is amazing like explaining like when I'm in this room or I'm in here like I don't I'm not able to have that conversation with you but when I'm not in that room and we're in this room or doing this like, this is where I'm able to kind of song to that. But obviously your child needs to be a certain age to have that conversation with. But, yeah. you know, I, I think it's, you know, doing what amazing stuff that you're doing, Hetty, and just like segmenting where you can, those opportunities mm. to really like connect is going to be really important. Yeah, it just comes down to being just super organised really, doesn't it? And actually carving out those times and making sure there's no kind of crossover if possible, because that's when yeah. the conflict happens. And I think that's when you start to feel stressed is that conflict of like wanting to be in two places at once, which obviously doesn't ever work. But, um, yeah, no, I think it's, really it's been, yeah, and I think it is being super organised, but I, I think I, I suppose just also want to highlight that you can be the most organised woman in the world if you're not getting support from somewhere else. Mm. that's going to be so difficult it's going to be so so difficult and you know I think it's also then about self-compassion as well and Mm. and actually you know I I'm trying my best here and my best is really great my best isn't what my best would be if my child was in their school or somewhere else like yeah but I'm doing an amazing job Um, and I'm, I'm absolutely in awe at the moment you know I'm I'm not blessed to have children my sisters have children you obviously have like kids Hetty and you know I'm just absolutely in awe at the moment and I kind of my heart breaks a little bit every time one of my friends with parents like says something that they're feeling like some guilt or worry or like shame about the situation because I'm just like you do not need any of that guilt shame or worry like you are doing an amazing job um, and just mm. like pat yourself on the back today when you go home um but you're already home so pat yourself on the back anyway. yeah. <laughs> here we <are. laughs> yeah here we go yeah um so moving on to serotonin and self-care um mm. so you mentioned that you carve out that hour for yourself whether you know nine till 10 p.m at night 
Like, why is it so important to have that special time, that self-care time? Because it's become a bit of a, a buzzword, hasn't it, self-care? Mm. I think it's one of the most Googled search terms of 2020. Really? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, why is it so important from your perspective? It is absolutely like crucial. Um, and mm. it kind of connects to what I was just talking there about self-compassion. And I guess there's two for me when I think about self-love um, and I guess that's that's what we called it now, haven't we? But I suppose you could call it well-being. Um, you could call it building your resilience. You could call it, you know, so many different things. Um, there's kind of two different components to that. There's a kind of like emotional, spiritual, like physical needs that you have. And then there's a kind of cognitive need that you have mm. um, and what your brain has. And I kind of go back to what I was saying earlier on about the brain We've got these three different systems. Those systems that get triggered by um, by stress and excitement are the dominant parts of our brain that get triggered. We need to recover our brain by moving into that recovery element of our brain, that, that bit of our brain that requires two crucial things. It requires connection and it requires... Um, energy management and it requires time out and it requires rest time and it requires doing things which aren't going to stress me or doing things that aren't going to overexcite me but are going to make me feel really contented and really ease and I guess what we're finding a lot in the workplace or I guess in our work um, whatever you do is that kind of part of our brain being triggered where we're feeling more contented more relaxed more at ease is getting less and less triggered in our working environment um and I think the pandemic's having a big squeeze on that part as well and I think that means we need to be really conscious about creating more self-care for ourselves so that we can you know help our brain out and kind of support ourselves to really regulate and to like emotionally regulate and cognitively regulate because if we're not doing that you know we're kind of you know and if we're not getting enough sleep they always say you're kind of walking around drunk but you're walking around so I feel (laughs) exactly like we're walking around an eighth of the person that we are yeah and you know even if we are you know even in normal times that's going to be really crucial but now it's like whoa this is massively crucial like everyone I've been working with this week every organization I've been working with all types of organizations from all different sectors um everyone's exhausted and we've just come back from some of us if we're lucky have had a bit of a break and people are still exhausted and that's so normal right now because of everything that's going on I know January is always a difficult month this is like the doubly difficultest month ever But that's where the self-care becomes really crucial. Now, the difficulty we have with that is trying to access it. Mm. Because all of the things that we normally do to access it um, are kind of limiting. Um, But there are so many things that we can still do to access it. And I guess, you know, you have to think about those things for yourself, work, work out what they are and try and tap into those a little bit. Yeah. So are there any like serotonin boosting activities that you would suggest? Like it's a kind of yoga and I guess eating mm. healthily is very crucial too. Yeah. Yeah. I was um, kind of thinking about this before we were talking and I was like kind of writing down things that I do. And this this won't kind of necessarily work for everybody, but mm. like meditation, mindfulness is massive for me. 
um, taking some silent time in the morning. And um, I noticed there's like a, a blog about um, how we start our day. Um, kind of uh, a lady wrote a blog um, this week around that. And there's a guy that's written a book called Miracle Morning. Um, and how this terrible, I've forgotten his surname, but it's a really fascinating book. But um, he basically talks about the very first thing you do in the morning um, if it's not breastfeeding, Hetty, <laughs> the very first thing you're doing in the morning, and actually perhaps this could be kind of a, a dual thing, um, is taking some kind of silent time and using that time, that 10 minutes, whatever, however it's going to work for you. Um, and that might be, you know, if I'm, if I'm breastfeeding, I'm purely breastfeeding mm. and I'm focusing on the breastfeeding and it's got all of my attention and it's got all of my being right mm. now and my focus. Um, and so it's about kind of finding pockets of time. Now, morning first thing is great for me personally. It's not going to be for everybody. But I um, talk quite a lot about micro moments. Mm. And so creating micro moments of kind of peace, calm, contentedness, energy rejuvenation throughout the day um so we'll have heard lots of people talking about going out in nature in these times for me I have to have that kind of walk in nature every day I'm really lucky I live by a really nice park so I think for me it's about kind of meditation it's about walking it's about being in nature something that I'm experimenting with at the moment that I'm really interested in is affirmations so how do you get some more of that kind of positive self-talk Mm. Um, visualization so rather than kind of getting lost in um, the worry and kind of going down into the negative spiral that we can all do really easily like how can I actually visualize something that feels really good um, that's been really helpful and also doing a lot of writing um, I think actually just taking a moment to kind of journal write scribe anything that's kind of using my hand and a pen mm. and a bit of paper and just kind of jotting things down um brainstorming things thinking about things in a different way and you know if it is worries like taking them out from my head and putting them on the page or if it's kind of I'm thinking about something I'm kind of going to explore that rather than maybe exploring it on my screen maybe just shake it up a bit and explore it on a piece of paper so I think there's all those kind of ways that we can um tap in a bit more to our serotonin by making those opportunities to be in a different way I guess yeah be truly in the present yeah um, that's yeah. really helpful and so on to endorphins which mm. I guess you know is it's pain relief really more than anything isn't it but people associate it mostly with the exercise highs um mm. and like that buzz we get from from doing our favorite workouts but yeah. um so yeah what what are some of the things that can produce endorphins because there's a whole range of things right but it's yeah. it's really tapping into that fight or flight system isn't it yeah, I, I guess it's kind of leaning more towards a kind of fight end of it, that kind yeah. of competitive, combative, forceful part of, of our um, personalities. And um, I guess like endorphins can be really, again, they can be really life-giving for us. And I think we do need some endorphins right now um, with everything that's going on. Um, and then we can overdo some of that endorphin as well. Um so 
kind of going back to your question on that, Hetty, what what was it that you want me to kind of? I'm oh, sorry. So more? things that things that can release endorphins. What are some of the things that can release endorphins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So I guess it's things like um, you know exercise, as we all know, is a massive one, um, mm. and which is just absolutely fabulous. Um, having sex, having more of sex. <laughs> We're having yeah. not as much sex as we normally do. Um, kind of getting out there and I think there's kind of cognitive things that can release endorphins so doing things that kind of motivate us that inspire us that we're excited about goals that we have setting goals for ourselves leaning towards those goals um and I think actually intentionally accessing positive emotions is really Mm -hmm. important at the moment if you want to tap into that endorphin because you know kind of going for a dance or um, going to, you know, particular things that we might have done to traditionally tap into our... Hi, Sorry. <laughs> to tap into our... Yeah. Um, oh, he's, he's an endorphin giver. He is. I think Let's he's more to Or she. She's more <laughs> they, They've come back from an hour. And so oh, anyway, I love it. No, amazing. Um, so all these different things can, can trigger our endorphins. And I think the... Um, the the thing I guess at the moment is actually we're probably getting less endorphins than normal. So I'm kind of almost prescribing people to deliberately access some positive emotions at the moment and kind of what are the positive emotions you want to feel? So like, do I want to feel excitement? What do I want to feel? And how am I going to deliberately find ways to, to find it? Um, and it might be at the moment that I'm going to need to use like visuals to kind of remind me. Um, I'm going to need to do things that kind of give me um, endorphins um, in lots of different ways. Um, and like, yeah, just kind of tap into those. Where the, whereas I think we've spoken about this before. I think at the moment there is a lot of negative inner dialogue happening and there is a lot of kind of negative thinking, which is you know, again, stopping that endorphin, stopping that oxytocin, stopping the serotonin. And like, we need to actually deliberately and consciously find ways to tap back into our positive emotions, however that's going to work for us. Mm. Well, that's that's so nice, because I guess it, it leads us to thinking about those, which is super simple to remember, but it's just like getting your hit of all those happy things. And it's just finding a balance, because everyone's got a different kind of mixture and kind of potion that works for them, right? You know, I'm especially feeling the oxytocin right now because of being a mother. Yeah. Um, but I know I've I've been more of a dopamine endorphin charged person in my past. So you're kind mm. of shifting all the time, yes. aren't you? Um, Definitely. But it's like you say learning how to find how to tap into them naturally however we can exactly you know when we're not experiencing them how do I go back to my Mm. you know my usual dopamine hits how do I go back to my oxytocin how do I get to my serotonin endorphins how do I access those things for me and I'm going to go and get them Mm. so for one of us it might be going for a run going for a walk it might be having a dance it might be listening to some music that's absolute tune like whatever it is for you Mm. you can kind of create your own playlist of you know, dose, like your own, this is how I get my dopamine, this is how I get my serotonin, my serotonin, my endorphins. And that's going to become my little playlist. I'm going to store that as a list in my phone. I'm going to store that in a kind of journal. And I'm going to keep coming back to those things. I might have a little um, folder full of images and things like that that can trigger that for me. Um, And yeah, I'm going to kind of win those, when I'm working on any negative thoughts, any worries, things like that, once I've kind of done some work on that, how can I kind of top back up those positive emotions? 
Yeah, amazing. Well, Cornelia, thank you so much for coming on the Dose Podcast. It's been really fascinating talking to you today. Thank you, Hetty. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you as well. Really good to catch up again. If you have any questions about today's podcast, please drop us a line at hello at whateveryourdose.com.